Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway, broadcasting from a different location today. Say hello, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hello, Scott. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, I'm kind of taking up the approach of every week now I'm going to record from a different location. Well, that's probably not a good idea. No, I'm in it. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> no. As long as it's not but a it's- submarine. Oh, why? I'd love to do this from a submarine. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Maybe we can organize that. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Jump, jump, jump. People are still anxious and depressed around things, uh-huh. and so yeah. uh, we're we're gonna give that uh, crisis text line another little plug here. In Canada, if you're in crisis, text home to six eight six eight six eight, or in the U.S. or U.K., text home to seven four one seven four one, and you'll be matched with a volunteer counselor who's supervised by a licensed trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free, 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. Um, yeah, so this show is going to be a little different, Scott. In what way? Well, there are a few topics that I've wanted to cover for some time oh. that aren't big enough for us to do an entire oh. show on. I like the sound of this. Yeah, so what we're going to do is when we want to, say, for example, we want to take a little break from crime as a palate cleanser or mm-hmm. in bizarre times like this when maybe people are struggling with crime, we'll do one of these episodes and it will be tagged with Canadian Legends in the title. I think it's brilliant. I'm loving the sound of this. So over time, I've collected like a ton of different things that I want to talk about, but no matter how much research I do, I can't stretch it out into an hour. It just, it just doesn't work. So I like it. I like it. It's like the episode is a bag of Skittles. It's a bag of awesome, yummy Skittles. 
Yeah, every flavor is delicious. They're just different. I dig the grape. I also dig the orange. And I also uh-huh. dig the strawberry. So uh, I, I, I noticed you didn't mention lime. Um, lime is okay. Lime is okay. okay. There's no bad ones. There's just preferred ones. Yeah, there's just, you're right. There are no bad Skittles. Uh, so this first Canadian Legends episode is episode number 121, Demons, a Witch, and a Flying Canoe. <laughs> this is going to be great. We briefly mentioned the lost city of Atlantis in our recent Hollow Earth episode. But, oh, yeah. But were you aware that there are other places uh, that just seem to have disappeared from maps and uh, other things over time? No. There are many places like this, actually, and some, like the one we're talking about first, are called Phantom Islands. Wow. So what do you think a Phantom Island is, Scott? Oh, well, I think it would be very similar to a Phantom Limb, where it's something that potentially once was there, but is now no longer. That's actually a really good description of a Phantom Island. I'm I'm very surprised. All I needed was a better illuminated room to record in, and suddenly... My IQ goes up by one. By one. <laughs> by one. You can now score higher than potato. <laughs> it's a super potato. Examples of phantom islands are uh, Friesland. It's a rectangular island that was just south of Iceland. I'm just going to say it sounds cold. But it's spelled F-R-I-S-L-A-N-D. Oh. But oh. still, I agree. It sounds pretty cold. Friesland. It yeah. And its location would indicate that as well. A Venetian explorer named Niccolo Zeno wrote about this place in his book published in 1558, and the book is called Della Scopramento. I totally read that one. It was great. This book contained a map illustration of the island complete with cities with Italian-sounding names like Forlanda and Sorand. (laughs) How fascinating that they... the. this, the land happens to have names similar to the land in which he came from. Right. Yeah. So Zeno claimed that his explorer ancestors had discovered the island in the 1380s, thus making these Venetians the modern European discoverers of the New World prior to Columbus, discounting the even earlier forays of the Vikings altogether. Hmm. The existence of this island cannot be proven and has been completely debunked entirely thanks to satellite imagery. (laughs) Well, I guess he really wasn't that forward-thinking. He he couldn't predict that maybe one day satellites will prove my quackery is that. Exactly. I'll just BS until technology catches up. (laughs) You know, which isn't the worst uh, way to approach things. But it made no difference to some. Even into the 20th century, as late as 1989, mm-hmm. Venetian cartographers and geographers still believed Zeno's accounts, claiming it accurate, thus making them the founders of the New World. Wow. <laughs> wow. 89, you said. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, we laugh, but this is uh, 2020 and people still believe in a flat Earth, so, you know. Another more recently debunked phantom island was Sandy Island off the northeastern shore of Australia in the Coral Sea. So in 1776, famed explorer Captain James Cook discovered 
the island with an area of the size of Moncton, New Brunswick, which is about 141 square kilometers. So it's oh, rather big. Decent. Uh, twice the size of Manhattan, apparently. Right off the bat, it sounds far less uh, cold. Yeah. Well, it's in the Coral Sea. Sand. It made its way onto maps for the next 200 years. Well. And oddly, its existence was confirmed by a whaling ship 100 years later in 1876. However, according to Atlas Obscura, the designation ED, or existence doubtful, was added to the maps in the early 20th century. (laughs) From Atlas Obscura, quote, Then in 2000, amateur radio enthusiasts on a de-expedition which are jaunts whose mission hinge on traveling to exotic locales where radio isn't prevalent, exposed Sandy Island for the fraud that it had always been. (laughs) Upon arriving, they found they had no destination on which to make landfall. Once the general public had proven what navigators had suspected, but surveyors in Google Earth had ignored, the mystery of Sandy Island crumbled quickly. Australian scientists studying plate tectonics verified that the coordinates of Sandy Island, the ocean floor, never became shallower than 1,300 meters below the wave base, (laughs) making the island's existence simply impossible. It took 200 years to debunk it. 200 years plus Google Earth. What I'm gathering from these two quote-unquote discoveries is that it was pretty easy to say you discovered land back then. I think uh, I think some of it was was not uh, intentional BS. I think the first one might have been, mm-hmm. but it wasn't always intentional. It was probably just shitty map making, frankly. Uh, yeah, you find land somewhere and you, oh, it's not on our map from where we think we are, and uh, I call it I call it Fortlandia. Yeah, I mean Columbus thought he was in India, you know, so. <laughs> Yeah, this is a very solid point, Mike. The Canadian Phantom Island that we're going to talk about is creepier than either of these two prior examples. Oh, that's music to my ears. This one has been called the Island of Demons. The Isle of Demons appeared on the maps of Portuguese explorers in 1508 and disappeared again in the 17th century. The island consistently covered in a murky fog was said to be inhabited by malevolent demons and other evil spirits that would attack ships that came too close and anyone dumb enough to make landfall there. Oh, I, I smell a road trip. If someone were to choose to live on the island, these spirits were said to make use of supernatural means they had at their disposal to torture the psyche of the invaders, ultimately tormenting them to death. So what are the what are the pros of this uh, island? Were there uh, like um, delicious fruit at least? <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like there was. No. <laughs> Demon Isle has been associated with Quirpon Island, a small island at the northern tip of Newfoundland. So at the very very northern tip of Newfoundland. Hmm. And it's also been associated with another in the Gulf of St. Lawrence off Harrington Harbor in Quebec. Hmm. And some say that it was neither and existed between the two, an island called Il de Ficho or Toile Fidio, a name derived from the French word for peg or stake that may have referred to wooden signal posts left behind by early surveyors. Hmm. 
Locals who live close to all of these real islands, though, claim different forms of haunting, including sightings of strange lights or will-o'-wisps floating about terrifying visitors. There's nothing terrifying about uh, so, the name will-o'-wisps. Well, if you if you do some Google about will-o'-the-wisp, and oh, it's kind of where the idea of the jack-o'-lantern came from and all that oh, kind of stuff. Oh, not at all what my mind was picturing. In 1542, three ships under the command of New France's newly appointed Lieutenant General Jean-Francois de la Roque de Roberval set sail to follow Jacques Cartier to the New World. Mm. Along with the other 200 colonists were Roberval's niece and, unknown to her uncle, a secret lover, Etienne Gozelin, a man aboard the ship. Oh, risque. When Sir de Robavel, a nobleman, found out that his niece was having an affair with this common and penniless man, he was furious. <laughs> Etienne was arrested and chained. Both he and Marguerite were isolated from the rest of the voyagers and especially each other. No, no. Jean-Francois had read about the Isle of Demons and secretly set the convoy's course for it. When they arrived at the misty and desolate island, young Marguerite was rowed ashore with her elderly nurse and marooned there with only a few provisions. If you're going to be marooned, you don't want it to be on a place called Demon Isle. According to Tales of the Enchanted Islands of the Atlantic by Thomas Wentworth Higginson, published in 1898, quote, a few boxes of biscuits, a few bottles of wine had been put on shore with them enough to feed them for a few weeks. They had brought flint and steel to strike fire and some ammunition. They also had a gun. Well, they sound ready to go. Yeah, but it's just these two ladies. However... Accounts say that Etienne also heroically made his way to shore after being released from his bonds and braving the cold water to swim to shore as Roberval's ships sailed away. The romance of it all. The trio built a rudimentary shelter and Etienne began hunting some of the strange animals they saw on the island for meat to feed them. You're a strange animal. Strange animals. I kind of feel sorriest for the nurse, though. Yeah. Imagine being stuck like you're the third wheel with these two youngsters who are like are really in love. And it's like, oh, we want to have a moment together. But here's this old lady just staring at you from a rock. <laughs> I'm bored. We're just going to build a, a shelter over here. Um, it looks like a good spot down there if you want to take that spot. You want to turn your back for about 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Life was tough right away. From Higginson's book, quote, For the first few nights of their stay, they fancied that they heard superhuman voices in every wind that blew, every branch that creaked against another branch, and they heard, at any rate, more substantial sounds from the nightly wolves or from the bears which ice flows had floated to that northern isle. Just, it goes to what I'm always saying. You can't trust an ice flow. So the timelines for what followed next are a little bit murky. It became clear quickly to the tiny band of settlers that Marguerite had become pregnant at some point. Oh, no. That's going to happen. It will. I don't think there's a lot of uh, convenience stores to buy Jimmy hats on that island. The constant psychic barrage heaped upon him by the demonic forces entrenched on the island became too much for Etienne. 
He couldn't sleep, became depressed, fell ill, and died. Shit. Days before the birth of their child. Well, that's just tragic for all involved. He was buried hastily in a shallow grave covered with rocks from around the island. Okay. Yeah, talk about, like, I guess deadbeat dad, right? <laughs> what a way to get out of fatherhood. You just... <laughs> Death, yeah. You just keel over before the baby's yeah. born? That's how badly he didn't want a kid. Death was the better option. After Marguerite gave birth, she baptized the baby into the holy church to protect it from the demons. Marguerite herself had been praying fervently and obsessively reading her Bible to keep the demons at bay, mostly successfully, but she did have her moments of terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair as they relentlessly assaulted her psyche. Well, I mean, you're isolated on a demon island and all this kind of terror... It'll take a toll on your ability to positively skip around life. And there were no antidepressants then, so... No, no. Leaving the baby behind with the decrepit nurse and driven by the instincts of a new mother, Marguerite set about being the sole provider, hunting, fishing, and gathering what she could to clothe and feed her little family. Damn. And no child support. No, no child support at all. She just had to do it all herself. Seventeen months into their stay, Marguerite's nurse died. And sadly, her child succumbed soon after. Jesus Christ, this is a very morbid story. Jesus. She buried them near the place where Etienne was laid to rest. Marguerite spent the next two years and five months alone on the island, fending for herself, the evil spirits dogging her every move and haunting her thoughts. When she spotted a vessel on the horizon, she went to work. Marguerite built a massive bonfire and waved and hollered until the curious Basque fisherman came within yelling range, shocked to see a gaunt, disheveled lone woman wrapped in bearskin frantically trying to get their attention. <laughs> what a great visual. It's a giant fire, this lady. Oh! Help! <laughs> Marguerite, much the worse for wear, but still very much alive, was brought aboard the ship and spirited back to France where she went into hiding in a nunnery from her cruel, vengeful uncle, Sir de Robaval. Mm -hmm. He probably wouldn't have been happy that she made it back to France, I guess. No, no, no. Hey, you're here. Oh, it's, wow, it's uh, great to see you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I thought I left you uh, to the wolves. <laughs> Remember that time I left you on an island? <laughs> that was funny, right? Sounds much better with your accent. Inspector Clouseau. Oh. Mm. Marguerite told her story to a noted 16th century French Franciscan priest and explorer named André Thevet. She told him, quote, It was terrible to hear the frightful sounds which the evil spirits made around them, and how they tried to break down their abode and showed themselves in various forms of frightful animals. Yet at last, conquered by the constancy and perseverance of some of these repentant Christians, the tormentors afflicted or disquieted them no more, save that often in the night they heard cries so loud that it seemed as if more than 5,000 men were assembled together. That's a lot of men. That's a lot of screaming and weirdness. And assembly. 
She also described the demons as, quote, beasts or other shapes abominably and unutterably hideous. The brood of hell howling in baffled fury. End what quote. a great description. <laughs> See, she could have just gone with, well, they were scary as hell. Marguerite dedicated the rest of her life to God, whom she credited with saving her life and her sanity. Over the years, fictionalized accounts and poems have told the story of the courageous young noblewoman who had overcome amazing odds to survive alone on a remote, haunted island. Hmm, so plot twist. What if this was all a part of her plan? And she wanted them on the island so she could murder them. That could have been. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Like she was yeah, a black see. widow kind of thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But there is a rather karmic end to this story as well. Oh. So you remember her uncle? Yep. I left him on an island and I do not care. Uh-huh. So from MysteriousUniverse.org, quote, all that is known is that Jean-Francois de Roque de Roberval did in fact return to France and that he met his end at the age of 60 being viciously beaten to death by an angry mob in Paris. Wow. Oh, sweet ending. That's how I want to go out. What, beaten to death by an angry mob in Paris? Well, you can remove the Paris. Just that's a, I'm just pictured right now, like Mike has to make a post. Hey, everybody. Really tragic news. Scott's, uh, Scott's passed away. Oh no, what happened to him? Beaten to death by an angry mob. <laughs> like, wow, he pissed off that many people? Yeah, yeah. We'll take a break right here, and when we come back, we'll tell you a quick story about a young witch from New Brunswick and a satanic flying canoe in Quebec. Yes! <laughs> And we're back. Thoughts to this point, Scott? I'm in heaven. Why, why do you say that? It's just, okay, everything I want in stories is happening. <laughs> to know that we already heard an amazing story, and yet a flying satanic canoe is yet to come. Oh, don't forget the witch. We're going to do the witch first. Yeah, yeah. But at some point, a flying satanic canoe yeah. is going to happen. I'm in heaven. Next, we're off to Moncton, New Brunswick, which, according to my research, appears to be quite a hotspot for hauntings and other forms of paranormal activity. I did not know that. The Greater Moncton Paranormal Society's website highlights numerous sites around the city with a haunted history. The Paranormal Society, also known as the GMPS, is headed up by founder Charmaine Dothright and lead investigator Denise LeBlanc. They have completed a number of paranormal investigations around Moncton and the rest of New Brunswick. Hmm. According to the What We Do section of their investigations page at thegmps.com, they say, quote, Paranormal investigating is a job that includes a variety of tasks and skills. Clearly. Pre-work is in order, close communication with the client, including existing data review, research, and of course, the investigation itself. Mm -hmm. Our goal when investigating is simple. Find out if there's an explanation for the events that are happening. After the investigation, we review the data gathered, a meticulous and time-consuming job. In some cases, the supposedly paranormal events are explainable. End quote. Yeah, well... I think more often than not, but yeah. As well as public investigations, the GMPS also take on private clients, as they alluded to. 
they got to keep your horizons broadened. So good for them. They investigate reports of what some people believe to be paranormal activity in their homes and provide those people with a detailed report and their findings afterward. Well, there you go. One haunted property mentioned on the GMPS site is William Thomas, Thomas Williams House, a stately Victorian era manor, now a museum built in 1883 by the man who was its namesake and treasurer for the Intercolonial Railway. I don't know about you, but haven't you always wanted to live in a manor? I have. I would love to live in a Victorian manor. Yeah, seriously. The house remains home to a number of specters, including the impish spirit of William's young son Charles, who perished in the home after an illness. The phantoms have been said to open and close doors, rearrange the furniture, and make the curtains sway at unopened windows. Cool. MyNewBrunswick.ca mentions the old Capitol Theatre on Moncton's Main Street, built in the 1920s as a place haunted by no less than two ghosts. Okay. Mm. Quote, When this building was operating as a movie theatre, a girl fell down the stairs and lost her life. Ah. Her apparition wanders behind the ticket booth at night. A volunteer firefighter whose name was Alexander Lindsay lost his life in 1924 when the main stage fell on him while fighting a fire. Jesus. His apparition sits in one of the seats in the auditorium. He is known for causing cool breezes to blow through this theater. End quote. Sounds like a pretty great way to be haunted. Right? A hot, a hot summer. You're all, oh, I'm sweaty. Oh, with this sweet cool breeze. A little bit of cool breeze from Alexander yeah. Lindsay, the dead fireman. Thank you, ghost. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's they didn't really get into this girl who fell down the stairs and lost her life. I guess she's not not important enough for a story. I don't know. I don't know why she'd be hanging out at the ticket booth either. Like, what's the deal? I need my money back. <laughs> I think that's likely. I was very displeased with the performance. I fell down and broke my neck. <laughs> I think that qualifies for a refund. Boo! <laughs> no place in Moncton scratches my paranormal itches like that of what is locally known as Rebecca's Grave. Oh, okay. According to legend in 1876, a local girl named Rebecca Lutz and her mother were accused of practicing sorcery in the community and were subsequently tried and executed for the crimes. Rebecca was then interred in a now unused cemetery off Gorge Road. Fearing Rebecca would return from the dead to punish her executioners and the community as a whole, the recently deceased witch was buried face down which was a common practice in the Middle Ages when burying witches, vampires, suicides, or ex executed persons. Oh, interesting. According to an interview with Discovery News about the finding of a grave of a suspected young European witch, anthropologist Elena Delieu said, quote, In particular, the prone burial was linked to the belief that the soul left the body through the mouth. Burying the dead face down was a way to prevent the impure soul threatening the living. Well, how interesting is that? Because I was going to say, what the hell does it matter if you're buried face down or face up? You're, you're buried. You're just dirt on top of you, below you. But I didn't know that this they thought the soul left through the mouth. Some others believe that burying people upside down also would mean if they came to in their grave, they would dig in the wrong direction to try and get out. 
That is brilliant. I love that. Holy shit, how long do I have to keep down? How far up do I have to go? It's been a week. The legend continues that in a further effort to thwart Rebecca's return, concrete was poured over the grave and the slab can still be seen today amid the debris and broken headstones that litter the old burial ground. Oh, that's amazing. There are other mentions that indicate Rebecca may have been buried as many as 13 feet deep rather than the customary six feet, also to prevent her return from the grave. Wow. Just an aside, there are some other methods of ensuring an angry spirit could not return to wreak havoc, and those are decapitation, as well as staking the corpse through into the casket and into the earth below. Some pretty morbid shit back in the day. A Flickr photo album by photographer Jen Savage that we'll link to uh, shows the remains of the overgrown location complete with a rusty wire fence and the slab purported to be over Rebecca's corpse. According to the blog bobsroom.com, quote, Official records indicate Rebecca Lutz died of natural causes on January 7, 1876, she was the adopted daughter of Jane Lutz, who died of natural causes less than six months later. Both were buried in the family plot on the farmstead, a common practice in those days, particularly in the country. And Gorge Road was definitely in the country back then. Mm. S- some accounts have both Rebecca and her mother dying of TB. But Bob goes on to say, and without cited sources, that the trial and hanging for witchcraft did not take place. He also says that when the family property was sold and a road was to go was to be put in nearby, the concrete was poured in, quote, an attempt to preserve the gravesite and ensure it was done with it was done no respect. Now, okay, I'm not poo-pooing Bob's room. You're just saying. Just quote your sources, Bob. Yeah. Here's a whole list of things that are the opposite of what everybody else is saying. And I'm not gonna tell you how I know that. So there are others, though, who still hold to the story of witchcraft. In late 2013, the GMPS set out to investigate the site once and for all, Mm. drawing on information gathered by the Lutz Mountain Genealogical Research Facility and Heritage Museum. Mm. The GMPS investigators were told, quote, that the community they moved into was at that time predominantly Baptist and Methodist. The Lutz were Catholic. They felt, for example, people could have seen them walking, praying with their rosary beads and just their lips moving. This may have started rumors that they were, quote, different. Mm -hmm. They felt that each generation would add bits and pieces to the tale. Historically, they said they never heard of witchcraft being practiced in the area. So Mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe the Methodists and the Baptists thought that these Catholic folks were witches. You know, it... In all likelihood, it is something as simple as that. It could be. That's typically how history works, and then layers get added. Yeah. The GMPS was also told that the concrete slab had been poured to prevent the graves from sinking further due to heavy trucks rumbling by regularly. Which, that makes sense, too. Yep, yep. The, The legends of Rebecca's grave attracts many. Some are teens, drunk or stoned, and new to the legend who want to see the site for themselves. I want to see it. Others are paranormal investigators like GMPS, and there are still more who come as a part of a haunted tour of Moncton created by geocacher 
a geocacher who goes by the handle Energizer Bunny. <laughs> How could you go wrong with, with a, a guide named Energizer Buddy Bunny? To find Rebecca's grave, go to north46.08.928 west.064.52.056 on your GPS, and it will be on Gorge Road. There you will find a white sign with blood red numbers. The sign is across the street from Rebecca's grave. When you see the three digit number, what is the first digit? The cache consists of a sign-in sheet inside a micro pill bottle as created by Funky Nassau and Nassau Jr. You haven't done any geocaching? No, no. I always thought it was just silly, but now that I'm like, I, I Pokemon and love that to death, Pokemon Go. Pokemon is a good comparison to geocaching, actually. Yeah, and that's why I think now I think like, oh, that would be really damn fun. I think it would be something cool to, for you to do with the girls is geocaching. Do they, are people still doing geocaching? Yep, lots of people are. Um, oh, really? There's geocaches in our neighborhood, Scott. Don't ask me how I know or I'd have to kill you. <laughs> oh, that is very interesting. Okay, I'm going to look into that. Um, if you do make the pilgrimage to that or any other site mentioned, please remember, especially in the case of Rebecca's grave, you're visiting an actual cemetery. Mm-hmm. Would be respectful. Please practice the proper amount of decorum and respect and be sure to leave the area at least in the same condition as you found it. Better yet, mm -hmm. pick up a piece of trash and take it away with you and dispose of it properly elsewhere. Very interesting one. Uh, if, if everything happened the way the legend is, like they really didn't want this lady to come back. No. Bury you face down, 13 feet down. Hey, also, we're just going to pour concrete over it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe put some garlic on there. It makes for some interesting folklore, though. Yeah, yeah, it really does. But that's the, that's the stuff I love. Yeah, me too. And that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we're off to Quebec. Oh. <laughs> for what I perceive to be the, probably one of the most iconic Canadian legends, that of La Chasse Galerie, or in English, the Witched or Flying Canoe. <laughs> Tabernacle. Although the story has been passed down by way of oral tradition for many years prior, in the August 1892 issue of The Century magazine, Quebecois author Honoré Beaugrand put pen to ink telling the folktale for the magazine's readers. Our telling will paraphrase his and uh, some other translations from around the web. In the mid-1800s, the forests of Quebec were filled with heartily built lumberjacks, felling the massive trees to be used to build the rest of the growing province. That is not how anybody's ever described me. Hearty lumberjacks? No. The woodsmen lived in rudimentary bunkhouses in the woods. After a long day of chopping and dodging falling timber, the men would gather around the fire to drink, smoke, and listen to stories typically told by the camp cook, whose job was not only filling the weary men's bellies, but their brains with carefully constructed stories. There was no radio or Netflix to listen to, so, to watch, so. Well, that's tragic. There should have been. <laughs> right? What a cool job. You get to be the camp cook, and you get to be the camp storyteller, too. Could you imagine that's your job? Specifically the latter. Like, my, what's your job? I tell stories at campfires. You know, that is kind of what I do. 
To help the lumberjacks connect to the narrative, the story always starts out in familiar surroundings. So the cook, like Sophia from The Golden Girls, would tell the story in the first person, mm -hmm. as though it happened to him. This legend goes something like this. Picture this. Northern Gatineau, winter, 1845. There's 10 feet of snow drifting up to the top of the bunkhouse roof. Inside, near the fire, is the place that you want to be. The other men and I were ringing in the new year with a large cask of rum provided by the crew's foreman. I was comfortably drunk and happy when I stumbled into my bed for a nap. The sounds of the other happy men celebrating in my warm bed lulled me into a deep sleep and I began to dream. I was startled awake by Baptiste Durand, one of the lumberjacks I knew well. It was much quieter and past midnight. He said, some of the others had left. I'm going to Laval Tree to see my girlfriend. Do you want to come with me? He knew I had a girlfriend there too, but our bunkhouse was a long way from Laval Tree. To Laval Tree, I said, are you crazy? We are 300 miles away from there and we couldn't possibly travel that distance in two months through the forest when there are no roads beaten in the snow. What about our work here the day after tomorrow? Yeah, that's a jaunty trek. Imbecile, Durant said. Don't you understand me? We will travel in our bark canoe and tomorrow morning at six o'clock we will be back here for breakfast. <laughs> It's not just any canoe he was suggesting we use, but a canoe bewitched by Satan himself to cover the distance in the required time. I refused at first, fearing for my soul, but after he called me an old woman and a child, Duran pressed on. We need an even number of men to make this work, he said. We already have seven who want to go, and you will be the eighth. Allons-y, come on! <laughs> there is not a minute to lose. We have prepared the oars, and the others are waiting outside. Oh, satanic canoe. I'm on. I put on my clothes and stumbled drunkenly outside after Duran, a man who had not been to confession for at least seven years. <laughs> no wonder he was so willing to give up his soul for a kiss, but I was too drunk and tired to argue with him. <laughs> The canoe sat there in a snowbank. It was a bizarre sight. The others were already kneeling in it, paddles at the ready. Duran seated me in the bow of the canoe and climbed in himself. After getting situated, Duran yelled, Repeat after me! <laughs> we repeated, Satan, king of the infernal regions, we promise to sell you our souls if within the following six hours we pronounce le nom de bon Dieu, the good name of God, your master and ours, or if we touch a cross on the voyage. On that condition, you will transport us through the air, wherever we may want to go, and bring us back sound and safe to the shanty. This, this is just glorious. And then they said, A cabris, a cabras, a cabram. Pay nous voyageurs par-dessus les montagnes. May we travel over the mountains. <laughs> I'm going to die over here. As we uttered the final words of invocation, the canoe shook and teetered on the snow, finally beginning to rise into the cold, star-filled night. Durand swung his paddle over the side, and with his first stroke, the canoe shot like an arrow, faster than the wind, toward our destination. My face was beginning to freeze from the air, so I quickly pulled my tube a little further down and buried my face into my scarf. The tops of the pines rushed along below us. Looking over the side made me feel sick and terrified at first, but I soon became used to the sights and was then in awe. We were traveling as fast as 150 miles an hour. It was a fast canoe. 
I led my companions in song as we flew. Briskly over the lights of Montreal we sailed. The rooftops and church steeples were a sight to behold from so high up, something only the birds were meant to witness. People in the squares below watched slack-jawed as we whooshed by. Before long we were in sight of the two tall bell towers of Laval Tree which stood atop the green summit of tall pines. We landed without a bump in a field belonging to Duran's godfather. We hopped out of the canoe and left it behind in another snowbank. I looked back at our vessel. It reminded me of a fishing boat left high and dry on the river bottom like those seen in the Great Bay of Fundy when the tide rushes out and waiting for the first waves to lift it up again. Oh my god, this is amazing. We made our way to the village and found our girls dancing dancing at Batisset Auger's, right where we thought they'd be. They were all surprised to see us. Weren't we supposed to be far away, up at the camps in Gatineau? Duran put an end to the questioning, telling everyone we were not there to talk, we were there to dance. I only needed a glance to find my Lees among the other girls. She was being wooed by a man, but as soon as she saw me, she smiled, left him, and ran over to me. That smile made me forget that I had risked the salvation of my soul just to have the pleasure of dancing at her side. <laughs> For two whole hours, one dance led into another. The rest of the canoe's crew amused themselves with their girls, as though teenagers. Out of the corner of my eye, I had seen Duran guzzling goblets of white whiskey, but I hadn't paid attention to it because I was so happy to dance with my leaves. When four o'clock came, it was time to leave if we wanted to make it back to the camps on time. One after the other, we had to leave the house without attracting attention, which was accomplished without too much difficulty. But when we got outside, we realized that Baptiste Durand was so drunk that he had trouble standing up. We were not just a little concerned that he was our pilot. <laughs> we made it back to the canoe and took up our places, same as before. We recited the magic phrases... A cabrice, a cabra, a cabram, pay nous voyageur par dessus <laughs> les montagnes. And the canoe rose up and was off like a shot again, with the first paddling action taken by my comrades. The canoe was not nearly as steady as before due to the drunkenness of our pilot. <laughs> we dipped and doved and swerved about as we made our way back up into the sky. After nearly colliding with a church steeple, one of the crew yelled, To the right, Baptiste, old man! To the right! You're going to send us to the devil if you don't steer better than that! <laughs> Duran steered right and back toward Gatineau. There were a few more close calls along the way with treetops, with Duran cursing every time he tried to correct course. I was now too tired to be terrified and fell fast asleep in my perch in the canoe's bow. I dreamt of falling. Around eight in the morning, I woke up in my bed in the cabin. The larger group of lumberjacks had returned in the morning to find us dead drunk and asleep in the snowbank, all still inside our canoe. They kindly dug us out of the snowdrift and brought us all inside. No one was badly injured, but we no one was badly injured, but we all had scrapes and bruises. Thankfully, the devil had not taken us all, and that we were safe and sound. Whew. All I can say, my friends, is that it's not as fun as some people might think traveling in midair in the dead of winter under guidance of Beelzebub, especially if you have a drunkard steering your bark flying canoe. I don't know. That sounds pretty fun. 
take my advice and don't listen to anyone who tries to rope you into such a trip. Wait until summer before you go to see your sweethearts, for it's better to run all the rapids of the Ottawa and St. Lawrence on a raft than to travel in partnership with the devil himself. And scene. Holy shit. That might be the best Canadian canoe story. Nope, scratch that. Canada's best uh, ghost story. That was incredible. All that's missing is maple syrup to be just everything Canadian. Oh, I'm sure that there was maple syrup in their food. Yeah, there had to be. Oh my God. I feel like I feel exhausted after that story from all the laughing. So Chasse Gallery was turned into a song popularized in 1978 by Quebec singer Claude Dubois. We'll have links to all these um, on our website, but they are en français, so you may have uh, Les Struggles with them. Eh, mais oui. There will also be a link to a 1996 short animated film, it's about 10 minutes long, called The Legend of the Bark Canoe by Robert Doucette. Oh, amazing. At the National Film Board of Canada site. Uh, the film is in French, of course, but you'll be able to follow along now that you know the story. You had me at uh, Satanic Canoe. And so that's it for our first episode of Canadian Legends. What do you think? Oh, this is brilliant. I, like, I, I, yeah, that's, uh, that's some laughter I, I needed and I think a lot of us need. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it definitely covered a lot of different uh, aspects of mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Canada. That's for sure. And we have done, finally done something uh, a little more French-Canadian because I've been called out on that a number of times. So why not start with one of their most favorite legends? Fucking gold mine to start with right there. So I guess it's time to listen to some voicemails. We might as well do that. Sweet old voicemails. Sweet old voicemails. If you want to leave us one, you can do so at one 327 5786 or 1877-DARKPTN. That's 1877-DARKPTN. And here's one from Alberta. Let's, let's have a peek. Hey, Mike and Scott. Jen here from my Corin bunker in Lethbridge, Alberta. Like many others, I too was laid off from my job of selling swing line staplers out in Dildo, Newfoundland. So now that I have all this extra time at home, I just wanted to call and express all the gratitude in the world to you two for the hours of entertainment you've provided over the last two years, and especially as of late. The one-liners, thoughtful discussion, and Scott's quips never fail to brighten my day. Thank you for creating these online communities full of equally amazing good eggs and allowing us to commiserate, share our quarantine shenanigans, and way too many memes. The Yumber Yard, Craft Barn, and Barnyard have been a life-saving escape while trying to find a new normal here at home. On a more serious note, listening to the Patreon after show on April 5th made me feel a whole lot less alone in my feelings as of late regarding the pandemic and how we're all coping. So thank you for always being real with us. You guys are helping to get us through this, and I hope you know just how much us listeners appreciate you. We're all struggling in one way or another, but it's comforting to know we're in this together. When this is all over, I hope we can meet up again, if Mike can drag Scott here to Alberta, that is. Please bring Carol and Joanna as well, because Carol is the sweetest woman alive, and I imagine Joanna is too. I hope this finds you, Carol, Joanna, and the girls well, and mostly sane. So guys, take care, be safe, don't touch your face, 
And be sure to wash your hands before and after you shit in your hat. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jen D. Yes, I oh. know exactly who that was. That was our, our good friend Jennifer Durrell. Uh, oh, okay. We met her yeah. when we were in Calgary. So that was fantastic. Thank you, Jen. Uh, that, that what was a great, beautiful. Boy, that's the best voicemail yet. Yeah, that it, was. In my humble well, opinion. Well thought out and yeah. um, just, uh, that was amazing. Thank that, you. Yeah, thank you so much. That that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, fancy that. A person from Ontario called us. How about that? Let, let's have a listen. I, I believe her name is Amy. Hi guys, it's Amy here from New Hamburg, Ontario. I just wanted to say how much I love listening to your podcast. It's so well researched and it's so good at humanizing the victims and sympathetic to your families, which is something you don't hear very often. And it's a really refreshing take on true crime and sort of dark history podcasts. I also love how real both of you are. And it's amazing to hear you talk about mental health on your show. As someone who's finally diagnosed with bipolar type two, and anxiety and depression, it means the world to me. And I love how often you tell listeners about the free resources that are available to them before you start your episodes. On a lighter note, I love Scott's giggle and quips. And Mike, you have the best storytelling voice I've ever heard. It helps me fall asleep at night all the time. But don't worry, I only fall asleep to reruns. Best wishes to you both and stay safe mentally and physically during this crazy COVID time. Love you both. Keep up the good work. And don't forget to go shit in your hat because coronavirus isn't an excuse. Bye for now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Another great one. I got to say, those were two barn burners. Yeah. Wow. It's so powerful to hear these things. Uh, and, And it's weird for me to hear people constantly talk about how rare or unusual it is to hear, uh, shows talking and, and supporting mental health because to me it's like oh, it's, we, we've been doing that for as long as we've known each other like having conversations uh, about mental health so it's, it seems normal that people are having so when we're talking about it on the shows it just seems like it's, I'm talking to Mike about what we always talk about and so it I get caught up in, in forgetting that uh I guess these conversations aren't always being had in a public forum. I feel yeah. the same way. Yeah. Uh, here's another person from Ontario. Seems we've oh, got a lot from Ontario this week. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll go with another one. We're big on the East Coast. Hey, guys. My name is Erin. I live in a small town called Oliphant um, in Ontario. I just wanted to call and let you guys know how much I love your podcast. I am a huge fan of true crime podcasts. I listen obsessively. Um, You're one of the two Canadian podcasts that I listen to. I would love to see you guys live someday, but uh, maybe that will happen eventually. With all this uh, COVID stuff happening, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but that's definitely on my bucket list of things that I'd like to do. I love your stories. Um, I don't consider myself a history buff, but as I get older, I'm getting more and more into history. And I love how you guys have taught me uh, historical things about Canada as well. Um, I love how you approach the stories and obviously they're super interesting and I just love listening to your episodes. So take care and uh, keep on making these episodes for us. 
Thanks. Bye. Well, thank you, Aaron. That was another nice voicemail. Wow. It's a trio of wonderful, wonderful voicemails. Right? Yeah. How can we... Uh... Yeah, I mean, you can't top that, so I guess we'll stop at three. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. For this week. Um, I, I, I do listen to all, all the voicemails, and honestly, nobody has really told us been mean at all, which I, I kind of like. It's, yeah, it's it's shocking because I would you would just think law of averages, and at right. some point, I'm sure somebody will. But it just I don't know. It kind of goes to show. Uh, it's a it really is a testament to our listeners. Yeah, and there are some other good ones that I would love to play this week, but there are so many good, like I say, so many good email mm-hmm. or voicemails mm-hmm. that we can't we can't play them all. Um, we will probably play some more next week and there may be one or two that were left over the past week that we'll play. So I always kind of bookmark them, flag them a little bit, uh, Mm -hmm. ones that I want to use later on. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. So again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARKPTN. That's 1-877- All right. And let's get on to the Patreon shoutouts. We're going to do that. Oh yeah. Let's do that. All right. So Patreon this week. Oh my goodness gracious. Again. Gangbusters. People are being being very kind. Um, Oh. Yeah. I'm always blown away by it, but uh, uh, this past few weeks has been rather extraordinary to me. Wow. Yeah. That is great to hear. First up, we have Lindsay Beach from Sudbury, Ontario. Whoa. Oh, I hope she lives near a beach. I hope so too. (laughs) If not on one. Next, we have Jeanelle Lapierre from East Helena, Montana. East Helena, Montana. Helena, Montana. Well, thank you very much. I went through Montana. I quite liked it. Yeah, yeah, I remember you were talking about it. Especially because I could drive real fast. What, what? What's so special about there and driving fast? Well, their speed limit was 85 miles an hour. Oh. <laughs> well, Lord, thunder, and Jesus. <laughs> it was like something like that. It was fast. Uh, Laurel Mercer from Hope, BC. Ah, Look Hope. at that. I was just up there the other week. Thanks, Laurel. Yeah. Uh, uh, somebody who just goes by Allison from Oceano, California. Well, Allison, thank you. Right? Uh-huh. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong. Just, you can't. She's like Cher or, uh. <laughs> you, you don't need more. You don't. No, you don't. No, you just stick with Allison. You don't need, a, you don't need more name. Rose Gallego from Edwardsville, Kansas, upped her pledge. Rose. That's a beautiful yeah. name. Thank you, Rose. Thank I always, I always like that name too. A lady who used to babysit me, her name was Rose and she had two oh. little dachshunds. She was very Oh, nice. everything about that was adorable. That little They're, little they're great dogs. Yeah. Next we have Sally Norris from Weymouth in Great Britain. You obviously got to ask. Pip, Pip, Cheerio. Well, no, uh, yes, but also, uh, got to be related to Chuck. Oh, really? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very uncommon name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it could be. 
Well, probably Sally, Chuck's daughter. Yeah, 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 totally. Next from Cranbrook, BC, we have Amber oh. White. Oh, I've, I've spent a lot of time. Well, I say a lot of time. I went to Cranbrook once for a weekend. Oh? For a wedding. Yeah, yeah, to, uh, oh, 20 plus years ago, but two, two close friends of mine uh, were from, and uh, they were born and raised in Cranbrook, and then they went back there to get married, so. Oh. It was beautiful. Well, how about them apples? How about them? <laughs> Looks like we had another patron return to us here after what? some time away. And that's Jennifer Lacroix from Edmonton, New Brunswick. Oh, so she probably knows about Rebecca's grave, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, named after it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, from Columbus, Ohio, we have Bug Carmine. <laughs> bug. <laughs> B-U-G, yeah. Bug. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, okay. All right. Well, thank you, bug. The only other person no named bug that I can remember in popular culture is a uh, bug from the uncle buck movie. The, the girl's boyfriend, it. his name was I, bug. I was, I was trying to, I was struggling trying to think, uh, come up with something funny because I was thinking in my head, okay, where else? I know there was somebody else named bug. A absolutely. That's the, the, the guy yeah. dating his yep. niece. Yep. Yes, that's right. And and yeah. Uncle Buck really tortured that guy. Oh, and when he when he threw him in the trunk. Yeah. And just, threatened oh, him with a drill. Yeah, the drill. Oh my god. God, I love Uncle Buck. That is one of my favorite. Poor John Candy. R.I.P. Uh, yeah. From Navarre, Ohio, we have Jordan Oki Wilson. Oh. Okie dokie, Jordan. Exactly. Oh. And he, here we have one uh that I'm not sure where this person is from. Their name is Emile Green. Where do you think Emile is from? I don't have to think. I know where Emile okay. is from. Yeah. Uh, I think you've probably been there. I think you've been there a couple of times, I believe. It's uh, the the city of Bo. Uh -oh. yeah. Have you ever been to Bo in, in Sri Lanka? No. Nope. Oh, I could have swore. I could have swore. It sounds like a place you would uh, spend a lot of time. No, I, I planned to go there. You, oh, okay. That's, I wanted to go fishing there. but That, uh, that must be it. That's because I think we, yeah, yeah. But because me. I neither go fishing nor know where Sri Lanka is, I probably won't be going. No, well, I mean, it is coastal. Right. Bow itself isn't, but Sri, Sri Lanka. So yeah, what does sorry. Emil, what does Emil Green do in Sri Lanka, Bow Actually, Sri Lanka? I was totally, I was totally, I got my S's wrong. It's oh. Sierra Leone. Oh, it's Sierra Leone? Well, that's yeah, a very I, different place, and that's not a place that I want to go. But it has, an, it has S involved. It's easy to confuse those In two. Robert Young Pelton's book, uh -huh. uh, Dangerous Places, Sierra Leone yeah. is one of the top most dangerous places on the planet. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, mm, okay. Well, um, I'm going to go, because that's the kind of guy I am. Okay. Well, we still don't know what Emil does for a living. Oh, uh, well, her job now makes a lot more sense. Is. Yeah. Now that we, we figured out exactly where, where she's from, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, her, her job is. It's it, a he, she, by the way. It, that's what, that's what I said when I said oh, she. Okay. I, 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 I meant he, uh, okay. he is, he, what he does is, uh, death tourism. Oh, he tours. Oh, what is death yeah. tourism? 
Well, you kind of take people to um, cemeteries and cemeteries, um, crematoriums. Yeah, it's just sites that morgues. Death that the sites that death is um, a a some a comedy topic. shows. Well. <laughs> <laughs> mine sure it, yeah. it's um and it may yeah because there's it's why he's so so busy now it all makes sense because uh how dangerous it is it just pretty much any corner you go to there's a, a death story you can talk about wow yeah yeah so uh sierra leone yeah. it, doesn't it doesn't it sound like a beautiful place though it does uh, kind of. It, it really does. It has that, that kind of ring. It flows you, Sierra Leone. You really, you really would. Uh, you know, my, in the summers, I like to travel to Sierra Leone and uh, yeah, enjoy the know. beaches. Sierra Leone in the summer would be really hot, too. Wow, really? Yeah. Mm. You really, you're not part of the marketing team there, are you? No. <laughs> Next up from Woking, Alberta, we have Denise Matlock. Oh. Your father's your father's favorite show, Matlock. <laughs> I, you know, I honestly I can't think of my father now without thinking about us coming back from Halloween. <laughs> and hearing Matlock really loud. Like we're literally like we're, we're not it's not like we're at the door to come into my house. No. We're we're like outside. On the street. Uh, on the street. My dad my dad was inside, I think, handing out candy. While we were out, and uh, we could hear Matt. We're outside on the street. We fucking hear Matt locked yeah. through the walls, like through. Oh, yeah, classic Hemingway. Oh my! Uh, next up, we have uh, another podcast. Look at that! Whoa. It's Whoa. Joe and Sheila from A Wrinkle in Crime podcast. Oh, what a great name! And they're from Arab, Alabama. Wow, wow. Arab, Alabama! Holy smokes! What a, I love the name of that show, though. A wrinkle in crime podcast.com. So check that out. Absolutely. Check. I'm going to check it out. Uh, from Calgary, Alberta, we have Christine Elizabeth. Oh, two first names. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Christine. Yeah. And finally, from Kirkland, Washington, just across the border there, we have a new PM. Her name is Celeste Lonson. Oh, well, hi, Celeste, and thank you. Thank you so much. A hop, skip, and a jump. Do people outside of Canada say hop, skip, and a jump? Is that like a popular I'm pretty certain that, uh, that, that it's a big English-speaking mm. saying, hop, skip, I and think, a jump. Yeah, as, as, yeah as, as, just, as I was saying it, I'm thinking, like, I don't really hear other people say it. It doesn't strike me as overly... Uh, Canadian? Overly Canadian, no. Okay. So... Took. All right. All right. Let's see. Toboggan. Canoe. Toboggan. Yeah. We got another large size donation from someone named Larry Norman, and it looks like he's got a .ca email address. So it's someone here oh. in Canada. So oh. thank you so much, Larry. Very many thank yous. Yes. Mu muchos gracias for some yeah. donut money. Yeah. Uh, next we have, uh, Sally Norris, Sally Norris, and she's from the UK and she says 10 British quids for the donut fund. We share a queen, which seems like a good enough reason this week. There may be other reasons and pounds to follow. 
Once I think of them, Sally N. Well, how thank you, no- Sally. How many Norrises could we have on today's show? I don't know. It seems like uh, we are we are have a plethora of Norrises. Like to two per episode is a substantial amount. It really is. Well, actually, Sally Norris is probably the same Sally Norris that well, just patroned us as well. No, don't let's not jump to conclusions. I, I don't think there could be more two, than one Sally Norris. You're right. Two, I think it's two different Sally Norrises from the same location. Uh, she just sent another. T- <laughs> she, there's two. What? Ten British pounds for the donut fund. Coronavirus cases two million two hundred and thirty one. Two million reported cases. Beam me up, Scotty. Say, stay safe, you guys, and stockpile those donuts, Sally N. I am getting a little broader across the beam. So, yeah, I was just trying to, uh, I was just putting on some shorts earlier. I have mm. never, str- I have never struggled so hard to uh, put the button together on my pants, on my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like only in the summertime these fit quite well. And now it's like, no, they're... There was stretching involved, and, uh, grunting. Yeah. yeah. Here's another but, one from uh, Jenna Sonier. Oh. And she sent us donut money with a note. Hey, Mike and Scott, I just wanted to say thank you for all of your hard work and the incredible execution of every podcast you record. I have been essentially bedridden for the past weeks due to severe medication withdrawal. And your podcasts have definitely gotten me through the pain and insomnia I've been experiencing. Ooh, that's rough. I'm really sorry to hear about all the pain and uh, the challenges you're going through. I'm really sorry. Jenna says, I'll be a patron as soon as COVID is over and I have a stable income, I promise. But until then, here's some donut money. P.S. Am I the only one who likes old-fashioned plain? Ha ha. Much love from Hamilton, Ontario, Jenna Sonier. Um, So- I'm good with old fashioned plain. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, I quite like them. It's not. I I wouldn't, if left to my own devices, choose that donut. But if somebody said you want an old fashioned plain, I say hell yeah. You know what's great? A mm, nice cup of coffee mm-hmm. and a plain donut. Oh, it's just a classic. It re- right? Yeah, it's like and, apple and pie can, and ice cream. You know, like you can dip your your. Uh, your plain donut, your old fashioned plain in your coffee too, for a little bit of fun. In fact, you should. You probably should. I highly recommend it. Irene Brienne sent us uh, another payment, another yes. recurring payment. Payment. Uh, so thank you, Irene. Thank you, Irene. Thank you. Muchos thank you. gracias. All the graciouses to you. All the graciouses. So thank you so much to our patrons, past and present, for your. Support and your pledges. Thank you too for your donut money donations. If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash dark poutine or for one time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, dark at gmail.com. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, you can easily find us on iTunes podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on demand audio. You can easily rate us on podchaser.com. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or follow on Twitter, Instagram, and other places. <laughs> Just search for Dark Poutine. I'm even, I even did one video on TikTok. I don't know if I'll be on there very much. I have, takes, I have a, uh, yeah, I haven't got it, TikTok. It takes too much energy. That's what it seems like. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple.
Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.